we have in Acts chapter 17, Paul continues his discourse. You could call it his sermon. And I believe you could actually call it his warning to the Greek Athenians. And he picks up and he says, And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after Him and find Him, though He be not far from everyone. We see here, if we go back a ways, that Paul wound up coming through Thessalonica. He comes and he winds up here and he travels to, to, to Greece here at Mars Hill in the Areopagus. As we had that movie several weeks ago and you could see what Paul was coming into, this area of nothing but abject, overwhelming Greek idolatry where the philosophers were worshipped, the statues, people were in awe of it. And Paul basically reacts, this is something we never talked about, he basically reacts the same way that Jesus reacts in Matthew chapter 23, I believe it was Matthew 24, in the Olivet Discourse, when the disciples said, look at the buildings. Look at the grandeur of the buildings. And Christ comes out and he says to them, well, I'll tell you a little story about these buildings. When it's all said and done, there won't be one stone left after they're all destroyed and they're all burned. And so that's, that is the emphasis that Christ puts on the buildings themselves, and Paul does also with the Athenians and the statues and then we see here what we had talked about a couple weeks ago was how that God is not confined to the places of men. Paul says, lest he need anything. Which means that our worship is not confined to waiting one little time during the week, entering into a building, and once we enter that building, that's our worship once we leave the building, that's the end of our worship for the rest of the week. And Paul is saying that worship is in our hearts. It's with Jesus Christ every minute of our life. And you want to know when you're to have biblical devotions in your home? Every minute of your life. That's biblical devotions to Jesus Christ. And that is our, that is, which we're going to read this morning, the question and answer 20 in the larger catechism. We are to be in perpetual obedience to God. And that is better than any life insurance, health insurance, or any type of property insurance you could ever have is the protection of God. So we see here Paul goes on and he says that he hath made of one the blood of all nations. Well, what have we been talking about? How God reveals himself to everyone, Paul was telling them. He starts off with the Athenians and he talks about creation. And he says how God hath made all things. He has made everything he spoke his word, and we talked about that. He is a refuge. He delights in exercising loving kindness to those that know him, that honor his creation. And he says that all will know him. Unequivocally, unequivocally all will know him. And so another, just another um, back up here a little bit. Paul continued his sermon, and it leaded, led to the foundational facts of where the universe comes from. And we talked about in the Sunday school class a couple weeks ago, actually the Wednesday night prayer meeting, how when we read actually Acts chapter 16, no, John 16, 33, where Christ says, I have overcome the world. Isn't it amazing that he says he has overcome the world, but not the universe? 
He doesn't need to overcome the universe. The universe is his, but he has overcome the world where the sin and the wickedness is. And Paul was talking about that. And so basically, we, we got into two incredible stories where we were talking about how basically, if we look at the history in the Old Testament down through the ages, and anyone has anything to bring up and to add to this, please feel free to do that. Pastor Olson, go ahead. Amen. Right. 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 No. Right. Well, when we as we look at that. I think that this verse is a really good verse, and we'll look at that, that it really debunks the critical race theory that's being taught in schools today for even young children to literally be made to apologize for being white Caucasian. We are of one blood, and there are problems amongst different religions and different, different cultures, and I think we have to be very careful with that. But what does God look, how does God treat that? Well, if we look at the transition from what we were speaking about a couple weeks ago, and we all had very good correspondence here and talked about it, when we see how man's worship was confined over the centuries to false idols, we were talking about in the Old Testament, we were talking about how Jehu had brought all the wicked idol worshipers into one building, and he, was, and he had them destroyed. Remember that? And then we also talked about how the worship of the Israelites, how Joshua had heard the noises and he said, this is, this is not a song of victory, this is not a song of defeat, this is a song of the Israelites all dancing around the golden calf naked. And their worship was when they all got together and they went to that golden calf. But isn't it incredible how the worship of a born-again Christian is everywhere? It's witnessing, it's giving tracts, it's praying. And, it, and Sunday morning is just the beginning. It's supposed to be the beginning of our worship. And during the week, we can worship anywhere we're at. You're having a problem, you can pull over, you can pray in your car, you can read your Bible, you can pray in your living room. We're always trying to be connected to the Lord. Whereas we see a lot of, we see a lot of false, I call them cults, or religions out there where people just come in, you see it in the Catholic churches and other churches, they only they go into the church, and that's the only worship, and then they leave, and it's over with. It's like they're kind of outsourcing their spiritual growth to some, to, to some other religion. Well, we, we talked about Moses and the golden calf. We saw the pagan religions, and then we talked about some of the political issues of the day. And there are a couple of quotes we left off with last time, and I want to read them again regarding worship. Two very good quotes. The... The worship to which we are called in our renewed state is far too important to be left to personal preferences, to whims, or to marketing tech strategies. It is the pleasing of God that is at the heart of worship. 
Therefore, our worship must be informed at every point by the Word of God as we seek God's own instructions for worship that is pleasing to Him. So we're always growing together. We're not looking for entertainment and marketing strategies. We're looking to be edified and be built up by the Lord in our walk with, with Him. That's what we're, we're praying for and we're studying. We're reading the Bible and we're growing. Here's another one. This is a very good quote here. If you're not worshiping God on Monday the way you did the day before, perhaps you're not worshiping Him at all. I think that's a very direct and a very practical quote, and it really brings it together. So, in the final analysis, this application of God not being confined to temples or idols made with man's hands, we could see that also in the prayers of David when he glorified God and said that God is everywhere. And that's, how, that's where we left off last time, where we were talking about where, where were some of the places that David said God was, that, when he says everywhere. What does that mean exactly? I mean, basically, what does it mean? Where does he see him? Where can he be? Where is God? That's it. Right? The depths of Sheol. He's, he's there. Where else did he say? He said he's in the abyss. He said he's everywhere. Pastor. Right. Right. Well, one of the big, uh, I think one of the big <laughs> quotes, or you could call the the general central thoughts of hell is that's where all my friends are. That's where all my friends are. Well, I remember there was, a, there was a song years ago where one of those stanzas, oh, sadly I know this, cancel my subscription to the resurrection, send my credentials to the house of detention, I have some friends inside. You know, and that's what the basic thought of hell is. The problem is we don't talk about hell nearly enough. And, that, and, and that's, that's got to change. We, we need to really study about hell. We need to study about Satan. And it's all woven into all these messages because that's exactly what the consequences are. It's like we were talking about in that last Bible study we had in the Sunday school class a couple, couple weeks ago, we're talking about invitations. You hear invitation. And I, I gotta, I'm sorry if I sound repetitive, but I, I just can't get this out of my head. You hear this all the time. God wants you to come to Him. I have decided to follow Jesus. It's my decision whether I want to go to Jesus or not. It's not an invitation. It's a subpoena. Because subpoenas have consequences if you don't confine. Hey, we have no problem. When those letters come in, you see, that's one of the worst things. You go out to your mailbox and you sit there and you see some stupid ticket for going through a photo thing, you know, and you, 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 don't, you don't even know where you're at, and they got these cameras hidden, and you go eight miles over to speed limit, and you get these tickets. I get them every other week, and uh, you, know, you go through school zones, and, um, and you look at them, and the last thing you want to do is, well, the first thing you want to do is run through the shredder and say, I'm never paying it, but you know it's a subpoena, and they, what's going to happen if you don't pay it? Well, then they're going to want more money. They don't care if you fly through that school zone. That government wants that money, and that's all they care about. It starts at $40, and it goes to $60, and if you don't pay it for a year, it's about like $250. That's not an invitation. That's a subpoena. And you either pay it, or they just keep coming after you. Well, 
when the Lord tells us that we have perpetual obedience, which we're going to learn, that's a subpoena, because there are consequences. And a lot of people don't get that. They think that God's just going to sit back and be the little cosmic bellhop, and when they need something, they're having a rough time. All right, well, you know, 9-11, I'm going to say, we need to pray today. That everything clears up, and after that, nobody cares anymore. No, we need to be in prayer, and we need to be staying close to the Lord. And that's what Paul is telling the Athenians here. He says, our Lord hath made of one blood all nations to dwell on the earth. First, we must remember when Paul says this, we need to go all the way back to the beginning when we're talking about the blood of the nations. of all. We've got two really good stories that are very important about this that we're going to look at, and I'm going to have you guys read them. And I think this brings it all together about this whole critical race theory. And here we, we have to understand this. I'm going to read this again so we don't forget. In verse 26, Paul says, And God hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth. So we need to remember this. He makes every man. God makes every man. He is the author and designer of every man's frame, body, every cell, man's mind, and man's abilities. He had made man who he is. So here's a question. Who is man? Who is he? What makes him what he is? We better know this. And if you don't now, I hope you burn it into your hearts. If you don't listen to anything this morning, I mean, you know, write this on your arm and make sure you stick it in your Bible and put it everywhere. What is man? What is he? Dave? He is made for that. But it is our spirit that is our being. We are the whole of our spirit and our soul. We've been given a soul. We're not just here floundering around like some primordial slime, which the college teaches, and then we die, and then we just become nothing. We are our soul. God has given every man a soul. And we need to remember that. And how that really goes against the critical race theory is man is classified by their class. Where in the world did homosexuality become a, a box yeah, on a list of a gender or a class of a nationality of people? Where did that ever come from? They're not a class. They're not a nationality. They're not a minority. It's a flat-out disgusting sin. It's a vile affection. And now you can't even go fill out paperwork without having to answer whether... You know, whether you're going to be, whether you're binary or you're this or you're that or with your gender. And that now has evolved and people have become insensitive to it. And now that's part of the critical race theory. If you cry out against certain nationalities or against homosexuals, you're now could be caused, you could go to court and you can actually go be charged with a hate crime. So if we're all of one soul and God's created and has our souls, every single one of us created, then where is God? Now God himself and Christ, they are now being accused of being racists. That's how bad this is getting. It's, that's what they're teaching in the schools. If God has created all men, which most people, that's the problem, they don't believe that, he says, I am no respecter of persons, and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that's where we can start this off at. This is very important. Let's build a case for the eternality of our souls. If the measure of our existence is based on our nationality, our race, then we are at the very least are the most to be confused. 
None of us know which one of Noah's sons we are descendants of. None of us know if we were even any, any of us from the tribe, any of the tribes of Israel. We don't, I, I could ask you where you came from, and you can't tell me exactly where you came from. Part of me, I have some German in me. I have some English. I don't even know beyond that. I have no idea. We all have a little bit of this and a little bit of that. It's really kind of hard. And so and there, there are nations and people killing each other because of their nationalities. It's incredible. We really have no exact idea what nationality we are. Our souls are the being that God re- regulates and delivers from destruction in, in salvation. Salvation is about our souls. Our souls go to be with the Lord first, and the Lord is so merciful. Then He actually allows our bodies to be reunited with our souls one day. And that's how merciful He is. Lisi. Right. And only someone with a soul. A cat's not going to see God. Read verse, please read the first, just read the first phrase of verse 27. You just hit the nail right on the head. Hit, read the first phrase. Right. Paul does not leave. When, that's my whole point. When we bring this together, Paul does not leave the Athenians or the multi millions and billions of people that have read this passage. He does not leave them without a result or without some kind of consolation. He says, if you don't believe, he tells the Athenians, if you don't believe these things and you don't believe God created you, and you and, and well, they see the Athenians had a real bad problem. They thought that their blood was this real higher class of blood and everything else was underneath them. They were very class-oriented. And we see a lot of that in this country. It's really bad how there's a real class society and people that look down on other people. You know, and it could be any one of a million things for somebody to look down on in this country. It could be your bank account, the, you know, the way your ears look, the way your face looks, all this kind of stuff. And it's crazy. And, and basically, Paul is saying that when you bring all this together, the only remedy is to seek the Lord. You need to seek the Lord if you want to come out of this captivity from the one that holds captivity captive. Let's read some verses here. Charlie, could you look up Genesis chapter 2, verse 7? We're looking about the souls of man and how they're, it's so important that we are the souls, the, Lord, the souls that the Lord has given us. Genesis 2, 7. And then um, Brother Dave Cross, could you look up Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7? We'll start there. We've got a lot of verses to look up here. That's that simple. That's where it all started. Didn't start billions of years ago with some big bang. Where did the big bang come from? No, it started here. Dave, if he, brother Dave, you have at Ecclesiastes twelve seven. And then um, I'll tell you what Ezekiel eighteen four. Could I ask Pastor Olson? Could you look up Ezekiel eighteen four? And let's see, we have a couple more. Matthew, Teresa Smith, could you look up Matthew chapter 10, verse 28? 
I have a few verses that I think we need to read these to bring this together and to see really where, just to, re, to encourage us where we come from there. And then we have, let's see, Matthew. how about Lisi, Matthew 16, 26, when you can. And Dave, Matthew 22, 37. 26. Twelve seven. Pretty easy verse to understand. Got to love it. Thank you, Dave. You got to love that verse. The Spirit, our spirits return unto God, where the Lord's given us our spirits. Isn't that wonderful? And if you love Jesus Christ, look at how you're welcomed into, into glory. Look at that. The soul, we are, we are the beings, our souls are our beings. There's a, the, the next one is Ezekiel 18.4. Pastor Olson. At all the soul that belongs to the Lord. Okay? Now we go over to the Old Testament. Who has Matthew 10, 28? Good, good, good. Now that really steps it up a notch, if I could say that. Because Christ is teaching, and He's talking about how physically Christians... It's not unusual for Christians to be physically persecuted. It's even happening today. But he says, don't fear those that can harm your body, that can hurt you, that can martyr you. You fear the one that can destroy your soul. That is a second death that's unfathomable. We don't even begin to understand what a second death really is. A second death is something we don't want anyone to ever experience. And as Christians, it is incumbent upon us to warn people as Christians, we are to warn them. It is incumbent. It is extremely important for us to give them the gospel, to give them tracts, to do everything we can, and to pray. It pray and pray and pray. Because Christ is saying, what God can do to the soul, you, have no, you, you, you haven't even seen what consequences could be. Okay, how about uh, Matthew sixteen twenty six? See here that the soul is precious. Very, very important. Matthew twenty two thirty seven, Dave. Amen. Thank you, Dave. Uh, we're to love him with our heart and our soul. We're supposed to love him so much it goes all the way and penetrates into the deepest recesses of our being, into our soul. Our bodies fade and wither away, but as our soul is eternal, and our bodies will be in the ground for a season. But our God is so wonderful and merciful that our bodies will reunite with our souls. Job spoke of the frailty of the physical body. Listen to this little verse. I love this. Job 19.26 And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Isn't that a beautiful verse? He said, even when my body fades, fades, my hair gets gray, maybe I lose some of my hair, 
after my body starts withering to the point where they have to bury me, and when my body is destroyed, my flesh will see God, he says. The point is, is that God has made of blood all nations to dwell on the earth and control His habitation. He is not judging us on our nationality, but is what in our hearts. The very people that hated Christ, He went into all the areas. You know what's so incredible about Christ? I was listening to a message a few days ago. I was listening to several. I can't remember actually exactly who this was. But he was saying how the most incredible, incredible part of Christ, one, there are so many. You can't just say one's better than the other, so I'm sorry about that. But one of the most incredible things, one of the incredible um, um, foundational principles of Christ's earth is that his wisdom, he could freely speak it confidently to everyone on the face of this earth. And you might say, well, of course, I mean, we know that, it's in the Bible. You know, think about some of the philosophers and some of the big think tanks of the day, and they came up with their own wisdom. They could only speak it to a genre of people. It was never open to the whole world, because there are many that won't even begin to hear it. But confidently, Christ's wisdom, he could confidently speak it to everyone he ever talked to, whether they were a Jew, a Greek, a Phrygian, a Berean, didn't matter if they were from Macedonia, whether they were in Italy, whether they were in Damascus or Thessalonica, it could be opened and he could speak confidently. It didn't have to be confined to only people that would hear certain lies, which is what happens with philosophy. Only certain people would, would fall for those lies. We see that this, these verses that we've read and this verse that we just read annihilates critical race theory and proclaims Christ and Christ as being the founder of all races and brings men together to be unified in, 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 in the gospel of Jesus Christ. All men are created of one blood going back to Adam and descending from Noah after the flood. The Athenians had a determination that they were of a different blood. They boasted that they sprung out of their own earth and not analogous by blood to any other nation. They believed they were their own people, that they should stay amongst themselves and they would literally punish people for not believing what they believed. And that's very, very dangerous. There's two major events in the Bible that shows the first one is more of a universal negative and then the next one is a universal positive on how Christ separated the nations for disobedience, and then he brings them back together. Look at Babel. All the nations that gathered together to build their way into heaven and were all cursed with confusion, speaking in unknown tongues. Lisa, could you read Genesis chapter 11, verses 6 through 9? And let's look at that story here and how there was no handpicking the races. There was no glorifying certain people because of class or race. This happened to all those that were crying out against the Lord. It's Genesis 11, verses 6 through 9. All. 
Do you see that? It didn't just say, ah, oh, no, he just he only did the EP. He took the black people and he put them and he confounded them and he left the white people all get along. There was no re- critical race theory here. There was no discrepancy when the Lord saw people perpetually disobeying him. He completely confounded them. They're standing there building this great big building and now all of a sudden they don't have, a, they don't, they don't have an app on their phone where they can sit there and they can, you know, transfer their languages and translate them so they could talk to each other. All of a sudden, they're all talking in an absolute, un, un, you know, un, a non-understandable language. And it's amazing today, you look at the apps today that you can learn languages. What's, the, what's one of the big ones out there? Babel. Came from the Bible. See, isn't it amazing how all the wicked, they still use the Bible, they don't even know it. So stupid. Babel. That's where it came from. Genesis chapter 11. They're babbling. And so this is what now, this is what happens back in Genesis. And you have to be able to pick the next one. Does anybody know where I'm going next? Have any idea? The next one, it's a big one. Give you a clue. Acts chapter 2. Pentecost. Then, then here the Lord brings, brings the, the disciples, the apostles together, and he allows them to speak fluently with their, the proper idioms, the lingos, the language. And there they can give the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here we have Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And I'll leave that open. Who would like to read that? Whoever gets there. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. That's, this is great reading. So just take your time. You read it. Read it clear. Acts 2, verses 1 through 11. Who has it? Here, you want my microphone? Here you go. <laughs> go ahead, Teresa. What can you say about that? If you're paying attention and you're reading these verses, it's all there. Look at all the different nationalities that we're, we're learning. Dr. Luke makes it very clear 
that the gospel of Jesus Christ is being given. The disciples who are now apostles, they're able to speak fluently in all of these different nationalities. And this just about covers it all. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Gentiles, Jews, and it's open to the world. Christianity has been labeled as one of the most racist hate crimes there is today. You can be declared a terrorist. Look at this. This shows that it's open. Heaven is open to everyone. And can you see how this confirms what Paul's talking about, how the Lord appoints the bounds of our habitations? He even controls our mouths. He controls our languages. He controls our relationships and our fellowship. He has control over all of this. And if he is that brilliant and he is that has unlimited power to confound the languages of those in Babel and then open it up where the apostles could speak in perfect dialect and in perfect idioms and in perfect... in their own, Like, you know, here in Maryland, you have different sections of Maryland where there's different types of the way we talk. You know, if you're, you're, you're down in Dundalk, you're like, you're like hey, hon, you, know, you, have, you have ways of speaking. That's how they were able to talk. You hear a Canadian talk, and, you know, they have a different way of talking. And those up in Boston... New York, you know, I think they pronounce coffee like coffee, you know, stuff like that. This is, they were even able to speak in their dialect to everyone in their own languages. That blows me away. And that shows that God is that powerful that he can control the tongue. He controls the flow of the information he has given us and puts it right where he wants it. Pastor. Right. Right. That's right. And if you've ever visited a, visited a Pente- Pentecostal church, or I'm going to quote Pastor Mike Britton, happy clappy churches. <laughs> I love that. He was so funny. It's Pentecost every Sunday. Basically. Every Sunday there's some new gimmick that's supposed to be spirit-filled to renew people's salvation and bring them back to Christ. In that kind of, it's a cult, you can lose your salvation every week. And you need them to bring you back. And you want to know what's so utterly devastating about the Catholic Church? You go back, you read some of the writings of Pope Pope Gregory. One of his objectives was to make sure no one had assurance of their salvation you have assurance of your salvation in Jesus Christ, what do you need the Catholic Church for? Lisey. Yes. Right. And that isn't, that is, it's frightening. And it still is no different today. Lisa. Well, why would they want you to interpret? Because then you'll find out that you do have assurance. And then if you do have assurance, you don't need to pay the penance. You don't have to go through the sacraments. You don't have to show up and beg them forgiveness for your sins to, to this little metal box with some guy in there that needs to repent of his sins. And this is what you have today. I mean, you see how, as Christians, the Lord has blessed us with the truth. Are you glad you're a Christian? Lisa. Yeah. 
and, and a lot of different other religions do too. He's their marketing technique, isn't he? No, go ahead. Right. That's and that's and that is sad because you know how many of us heard uh, those that those that talk about Christ that talk about religion saying, "Well, I hope I make it to heaven. I hope. I hope. I hope. I hope." I mean, that's very sad, Lisa. Right. Right. Well, you've made a distinction there that's very important. The Christian church is required to give for the furtherance of the gospel so that other people will have assurance. The giving of these other cults is to buy your salvation. It's all personal. It's all very selfish. But when we're in the Christian church, and sadly today the, the latest poll numbers out there are that less than 4% of the United States of America tithe at all to any church at all. Tithe. Sorry. That was a little too much. They tie, that less than 4% of Americans tithe or give anything at all. And you see the difference as Christians, we're giving for the furtherance of the gospel. If you can't be in Kenya, Africa, give so that other people can. You know, our mission field is here in Kingsville, but we have an obligation to give to our missionaries, and we do. Anyway, that's kind of a little bit of a rabbit trail, but what Pastor Olson said is very, very important. We too have today a lot of babbling, but our Lord has given us the authentic truth of traditional Judeo-Christianity, consistent and perfectly understandable, where when someone speaks it, they're not standing on a chair going, blah, 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 I've seen that before. And you can't even understand what they're saying. It's supposed to be the gospel quoting verses, and it needs to be understandable. If you're talking to somebody in a foreign language, you make sure you get an interpreter, or somehow that they understand. And that's, that's of the Lord. And that was my next point that Pastor Olson made. This, this was not a present-day babbling here at Pentecost. How many here have ever been to a church where you have heard babbling, tongues, or bad preaching? Well, what's the difference, really? This present-day babbling is very much like the Tower of Babel, which was a non-communicative, it was a cacophony of languages, and there was no understanding. There's a lot of babbling today. The truth of the matter is, Getting back to what we were, what we're, what we were, um, what we're supposed to be understanding from Paul is when we go back and we see that he hath determined, our Lord hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after him and find him though he be not far from every one of us. That's very, very important. We all have descended from the same common ancestor in Adam. We also are in Noah as fellow creatures and brethren. The prophet Malachi, as in Malachi chapter 2, verse 10, 
he makes it very clear in Malachi 2.10, Have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? And we see here, if we all have one Father, even though we are dispersed over all the earth, it is our, it is our obligation to pray for those in other areas. We should pray for those in Ukraine right now. I don't know the politics, but there are children who are brutally being killed, mothers, fathers. We need to pray for them. God had not only designed, created, and made us all of one blood, but Paul declares of a perfect truth that God has determined the times before appointed. So this brings up the question of all questions. Are there things that God cannot know? If He has appointed the times and determined the bounds of our habitation, is there anything that God does not know? I think that's a very good question. Well, there are people that do not believe at all that God absolutely knows the exact number of people that were going to be invited into His kingdom. And if that's the case, then He's not God. Romans eleven thirty six. This is a foundational verse from the Reformation for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be the glory forever. Amen. And I love how Paul uses the amen at the end of that verse. He goes from the first 11 chapters of Romans talking about all the different problems with the Jews, doctrinal issues, justification by faith, and he goes right into this like bullet form of absolute conduct of the personal Christian life. And he tells Christians how they are to react as Christians. Right in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present yourself a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, the perfect will of God. Be not conformed to this world. And he ends with the first 11 chapters and he says, Amen. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And that's what he's saying here. It's a very important, very important to remember. Now, what does God expect? We've got to finish here, but what does God expect? Where can we bring this together and learn some of the foundational principles of what God expects of us if he has appointed our habitation? Well, I think the best thing we can do is go into our church constitution. And that's the larger catechism. I'm going to read you the question, read you the answers, and we'll read a couple verses real quick. And then I think it's very important for us to know this. In fact, I know it is. In Question and answer 20 in the larger catechism of the Westminster Confession of Faith. Here's the question. What was the providence God, what was the providence of God toward man in the estate in which he was created? Or basically to say it very simply, what was God's objective when he was merciful and kind enough to allow us to even exist and create us? What did he expect? What is it that he required of us? And here is the answer. Brilliant answer. And I love this answer. The providence of God toward man in the estate in which he was created was the placing him in paradise, appointing him to dress it, giving him liberty, not freedom. He said liberty, big difference there, to eat of the fruit of the earth putting the creatures under his dominion and ordaining marriage for his help, affording him communion with himself, instituting the Sabbath, 
entering into a covenant of life with him upon condition of personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience. That's not up for our interpretation. If the Lord ordained perpetual obedience, what does that mean? We are to have perpetual obedience, of which the tree of life was a pledge, and forbidding to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil upon the pain of death. And that was the outcome and how man messed it all up. But what one, the Lord wanted to do was have every last living soul, the Lord, to have perpetual obedience. Did it turn out that way? Well, that is of the Lord also. It's a very complicated issue, which we'll have to go talk about some other time, but it was the Lord's, for the Lord's glory and of His providence that man defied Him in the garden. But He did, and man is responsible for it. And let me tell you something. If God has the power to grind you into powder, he, you have no right to question him on that, which people are like, you know, the, the Pelagianists and all they believe, well, we weren't in the garden. That was just Adam and Eve. We're not required to do what God says because we weren't there. Well, our hearts were because we're all wicked and we've all de defied him. Genesis 2, 2, 2 verse 8, um, I mean, Genesis 2, 15 to 16, we read, And the Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed, and the Lord took man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And it's just it's, it's incredible how all this is laid out perfectly for us to understand. Next week we're going to talk about, um, we're going to go over about what the Lord means when He says through Paul, though He be not far from every one of us. What does that mean? 